0: Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolf. Wolfe. We kicked off our third annual Color of Education Summit virtually this week, spotlighting the intersection of race, equity, and education. Joining us to discuss this are speakers and organizers of the event. We're very pleased to announce that the third annual Color of Education Summit is kicking off virtually this week. And I wonder, Lauren, if we can start with you, by sharing a little bit more about this event,
1: sure. So, Color of Education is an annual summit that is hosted by our Color of Ed partner organizations. That's the Public School Forum of North Carolina, the Samuel du Bois Cook Center on Social Equity at Duke, and the Center for Child and Family Policy, also at Duke. Um, this is our third summit and our first time having a virtual summit. So, it'll look a bit different than what we had planned. We were we originally planning to have the event in person, but we're really excited that this platform will allow us to bring people together from a wider um, range of uh, geography across the state, and and we're not limited to um, a certain capacity. So we have almost 1,000 people who are gonna be joining us um, And they span from students, parents, educators, policymakers, researchers, all who are coming together to have critical conversations on racial equity and what we need to do to address racial inequities in education.
0: Thank you so much, Lauren. And I wonder, Keisha, if you would share with us a little bit more about the goals and the purpose of the summit.
2: Well, one of the things I've always appreciated about this partnership and the Color of Education uh, commitment is that it's not just let's just give information to people it's really collaborative of different um, stakeholders when we talk about parents and policymakers, teachers counselors everyone who's interested in children's education can come together share their experiences grassroots organizations universities but also share their experiences and also what works well and what has been a challenge so that we can stop making the same mistakes over again and have more success. And that's something that it's very action oriented, which is one of the things I truly appreciate about this convening.
0: I couldn't agree more, it's so exciting. And you know, Lauren, I know part of the challenge was figuring out how do we narrow the topics that we cover? Um, But I feel like we're very excited about where we're going with this. So would you share just a little bit about the topics that will be addressed during the four virtual sessions?
1: Yes. Um, we have a great program scheduled. Our first week will kick off actually with a, a discussion between Keisha Bentley Edwards and uh, William Sandy Darity, who is also at the Cook Center. Um, and they'll be discussing racial wealth and health disparities and how those relate to the inequities that we see in education. Um, next Tuesday, the theme will be focused on the impact of COVID-19 on racial equity in education. And we'll have... Um, three different sessions that day, including two breakouts. On October 20th, the theme will be policing and schools. And the final session on the October 27th, will sort of tie everything together to talk about the past, present, and future um, with regards to efforts to address racial inequities in education in North Carolina.
0: Excellent, and Keisha, you're gonna be covering the topic of racial wealth and health disparities and the impact on educational equity and opportunity. And I wonder if you could just tell us a bit more about your work that you'll be discussing and how COVID-19 has impacted racial disparities in wealth and health.
2: Absolutely. So one of the things uh, initially with COVID-19, we had this uh, uh, really big conversation going on nationally about systemic racism and systemic issues that inform health outcomes but it made people start thinking about education, communities, the environment and so these conversations were, were being had about how all these things are very interconnected. You can't look at health without looking at neighborhoods. and You can't look at neighborhood and health without looking at education uh, and so I think that that is a big part of it uh, but then the next part that happened is when we had somewhat of uh, a, a racial reckoning where you had people sitting at home watching the TV, as you had, unfortunately, these police brutalities that were made wide open to everyone, and it also became a part of the conversation about education and educational impact of race and racism, um, as well as these health aspects. So we'll be talking about that. Um, we have to talk about um, the fa- our families, so both educators' families and the risks that they take to be in school, as well as families deciding whether or not they want their kids to be in person or at home and whether they feel like it's worth the sacrifice for their kids to get the resources that are available at school, um, but also whether or not they would put an intergenerational family member of um, household at risk that may have other underlying risks. So these are these conversations that we're having. Unemployment for Black, Latinx, and Asian communities are much higher than they were prior to COVID and that also impacts um, access to education. So these are all things that we have to consider and think about as we start looking for solutions and moving from reflection that was happening in the spring and early summer into action.
0: So I think sometimes people might say well is the color of education for me is this something that you know where I should be attending and sign up I don't feel like I'm an expert in this and so I'd love, Lauren, for you to share a little bit, and then maybe Keisha as well, on why is it so important for people who are curious and want to learn more to join in um, to this, this space?
1: Yeah, so as Keisha said earlier, um, we're really trying to move from talking about these issues to action, and that takes everyone. So. We think everyone is a stakeholder in education: parents, students, community members, educators, policymakers. And having these conversations will help raise awareness about what's really going on and the inequities that are that are present in our system. And so, everyone is welcome. Um, you can learn more about the event on our website, which is www.colorofeducation.org. Um, and you can connect there not only for the event, but also for our efforts in the future. It won't end this month at the conclusion of the event. We're, we're gonna be doing this work continuously.
0: So Keisha, as we wrap up here, I wonder if you could share a little bit building on what Lauren shared just about advice for people that are reading a lot or taking in a lot of this information and trying to make sense of it and how to jump in. Do you have any thoughts for, for those folks?
2: You know, I think um, one piece of information is that uh, education is not supposed to be a silo experience. You're not supposed to do this alone. You're supposed to have conversations uh, about what you're reading so you can reflect and talk to people. And uh, and I think that's a, a big part of it. And really just have um, questions. Uh, I know for teaching and you're when you're offering assignments, you say, well, how does this affect what you thought you knew before you read? Um, does it change your perspective and thinking about that and how and why? And then how do you engage with people who may not have done this reading or may not have watched these documentaries or joined the Call of Education? So thinking about those things, how do you engage with other people in these conversations so that it just doesn't just stay in your head um, and that you can actually utilize the tool that you may be gaining?
0: Well, thank you so much, and I'm sure many more people are going to want to join us at Color of Ed because regardless of where you are in your journey and, and learning, um, I think it's a, a wonderful place to come together. Um, I want to thank you both for being here with us right now, and after the break, we will continue this conversation with Danita Mason-Hogans and Christina Spears. Thanks so much.
3: Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives.
0: We are so pleased to be joined by Danita Mason-Hogans, the Program Coordinator of the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University, and also by Christina Spears, the Special Assistant in Wake County Public Schools Systems Office of Equity Affairs. Welcome to you both. Thanks
4: so much for having us Mary Ann.
0: Danita, as we discussed in the first segment, um, Color of Education aims to facilitate honest critical conversations about the realities of racism, and inequality in education so that they can be addressed. Given your work on critical oral histories, can you talk a bit about which
3: and whose stories are typically told about our history and what may need to change? Well, thank you so much for the question. My work with the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke centers around the critical oral histories of the um, people from the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee or SNCC. And what we try to do is to document their movement history from the inside out and bottom up. We we center them and we talk about the decisions that they made in terms of resistance in the civil rights movement. And what is unique, I think, and what is important about the critical oral histories methodology is that it's a co-equal partnership. And when we talk about narratives, that is very important because we often talk about how narratives are very important what we don't often talk about is that narratives and the ability to tell and to communicate your narrative is always centered in power. So for instance, we talk about the Confederates, we talk about people like Kemp Plummer Battle, and we talk about people like Charles Acock, who were state superintendents, but not only were they state superintendents, they were policymakers, and they were uh, people who were really rooted in presenting a particular narrative. And those narratives are important because narratives inform perceptions, perceptions inform values, and values shape policy. So not only were they people who were rooted in narratives, they were also policy makers. And those policies have had implications for people like me who have been in Chapel Hill for seven generations. They have had um, implications on who was valued in terms of education and how those values transferred in terms of what we were going to put into those children in those school systems. And as far as I'm concerned, they have a direct line, those narratives that we have, have a direct line on how particularly black children are perceived in Orange County, which has the greatest wealth disparity in the state of North Carolina, and the second largest achievement gap in the country. That did not come Um, in the 70s, it didn't come in the 60s. These were narratives that were put in place historically by people who had the power to inform those narratives and carry out those narratives with policy. So narratives is is very critical. And the critical oral histories centers equity as opposed to uh, power in terms of who can tell that story. Christina, would you tell us about,
0: um, I know recently we've seen increased debates about teaching about race and racism I wonder if you could talk a little bit about why it's important for young people to understand the real history of our country and the role our schools can
4: play. I think the question I would ask someone back is, why would we not want our students to know the truth about race and racism and history in this country? Right. And if I speak my truth as a woman of color, as a black woman, my mom, my parents talked about race growing up in a developmentally appropriate way. Right. To keep me safe. Um, And because it was a part of my experience to help me understand the world as a black girl. So I think as educators who are talking about race and racism, we want to do just that, create developmentally appropriate spaces where kids can make sense of the world around them, but also just understand the truth about our history. That's really important because we've hid that so long and we don't want to, um, you know, repeat the history that we've had. We want our students, our kids, future generations to do better than we did.
0: And Danita, I know one of the things that your center focuses on is also this history um, to strengthen intergenerational social justice movements and how important that is. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that and how that relates to
3: your own story as well. Thank you for that question. I mean, you know, um, when we talk about intergenerational storytelling or narratives, you know, I just cited um, information about Kent Plumber battle and some of the folks who set the policy for Orange County education, but there was also a continuum of resistance. so black people in Orange County tried to establish free schools. There is a long history of people who were who were resisting oppression, so it's really important to tell those narratives. I come from about four generations of people who were very much involved with um, resistance and resisting the power structure. My father was one of the members of the Chapel Hill Nine, which a lot of people know. What I think is also important is that that part of the civil rights movement was actually conceived at school, at Lincoln High School. And it was uh, was conceived as a result of the students understanding that they did not have the resources that their white counterparts had. what did um, the desegregation, which actually did not occur until 1966 in Chapel Hill, but what were the implications for them as young black high school students? And so it was not just about sitting at a um, soda shop with white folks, it was about obtaining resources and being able to um, share in the the vast wealth that Chapel Hill had then and now. So for, um, for us that continuum of and the legacy of um, resisting and being very interested in not only how those resources are brought about, but how they're shared is is something that is, is deeply rooted in Orange County as well.
0: Well, and it's so interesting to listen to the themes and even some of the discussions you're referring to that happened, you know, decades ago and the direct connection to the conversations we're having today. And school districts across the state, including Wake County, have been having hard conversations and taking action to address racial equity in schools in many different ways. I wonder if you could share how you and the team is approaching this in Wake County.
4: Yeah. So in WAKE, we take a systems approach. We certainly want to transform the system of public schools. So in our office, we focus on the different stakeholders who are involved in systems change. So my role is supporting teachers and making their practice more culturally relevant and having a racial equity lens. We have someone focused on student engagement, someone focused on coaching the leaders in our district. We have a director of family and community engagement who engages our community. So we focus on the stakeholders involved in systems change, but we also really look at cultural shifts within schools, departments, offices. How are we as humans engaging in community building and shared learning experiences to shift culture in our different spaces? And I'd love to make some connections to what Danita has shared and her work at Duke in the Center for Documentary Studies. So we have cohorts of teachers who engage in shared learning experiences together. I talked about how shared learning and community building can lend its Self, to cultural shifts within the school and thus the system itself. So one cohort of educators I've been leading for now our third year listens to Seeing White, the podcast done by John Bewin, seen on radio with Duke. And we study that together. We listen to it together. We ask questions together. And then we say, we ask ourselves push to practice questions. How does whiteness live out in our schools and discipline and attendance and teaching and learning and curriculum? And then we hope to apply some of those concepts in practice, right? So that's just one example. Um, We have other teachers looking at neuroscience and how brain science affects culturally relevant teaching and social and emotional learning. Understanding our brains and literally how our brain functions helps us better support students and even ourselves in those culturally relevant spaces. So really lots of things rooted in shared learning and building capacity of folks to do the work in their own spaces, we kind of situate ourselves as a coaching office. We coach you and learn with you and build capacity and skills and knowledge in you, and you do that with your staff, then you do that with your students, then you do that with your families, right? So it's building in those community spaces in order to get to those cultural and systems shifts.
0: It's so helpful to hear those examples. and. You know as we have our last couple of minutes together i wonder if you would be willing to share advice that you have for community members districts and schools and all those involved who want to further their their efforts around equity um denita would you like to go first
3: sure I, I would just like to say that we are in such an exciting time right now where we're re-examining what we thought were historical norms. And we are talking about how everybody can fit into those, those, those pictures. So I think it's a, a really interesting time where we are dismantling systems of oppression and white supremacy. But I also think that this is an opportunity for us to explore what collective building looks like. And um, I'm so excited to be a part of that process. And I also would say that once we um, have this reflection. It's really important that we move on this reflection and it's important that we uh, not only document but we empower other folks to document their stories and then have collective uh, resonance in terms of what this means to our community and then move from that. So uh, I want to thank you so much for inviting me to talk with you today. Thank
0: you so much. I really appreciate that advice, and I know those listening do as well. Christina, would you share your advice with us?
4: Absolutely. I will add to what Danita says. It's all about collective building. I think COVID-19 and this global pandemic has showed us that our individual actions are no longer enough, right? It takes all of us making actions, collective actions. And one thing that I can say is I hope folks vote, you know, and vote for pro-public education candidates as a public school educator. I hope folks inform themselves about which candidates are going to build strong public schools um, that are on a solid foundation of racial equity because we need that as well so get involved and get out there and vote for sure
0: well thank you both so much we so appreciate you being here we're excited um, for color Ed uh, kicking off for this month and we just appreciate your time and all the deep and excellent work you're doing and we want you to keep sharing it Um, so thank you so much and after the break our final word We kicked off our third annual Color of Education Summit this week, and it looked a little different than our first two. Keeping everyone's health and safety a top priority, this year we are holding four virtual summits over the month of October, allowing for an extended spotlight on the intersection of race, equity, and education, and likely providing opportunities for even more people to participate from all across North Carolina. This spotlight comes at a time when the importance of talking openly and frequently about the systemic racism inherent in this country's founding, and that which persists today, is more important than ever. Robust conversations around achieving racial equity and dismantling systemic racism in education across the state of North Carolina are necessary, and they must lead to action. Many of our districts and advocates have been working to improve racial equity in education for a very long time. And today on the show, we heard from some leaders in our state who are working to elevate conversations with educators, policymakers, and other stakeholders to make much needed change. Despite this great work, however, we are still not getting to the outcomes we want and need. For centuries, education in America has been unequal. As we experience a global pandemic and the abrupt mass transition to virtual education, the question is not whether, but how the effects of this new reality will deepen racial disparities. Even before COVID-19, students from historically disadvantaged families had just a 51% opportunity to learn when compared to white non-Latinx students, according to the Schott Foundation's Opportunity to Learn Index. We refer to measure like this one as the opportunity gap. And if we wanna close the achievement gaps we so often hear about, we must first close the opportunity gap. One way to do this? Make our system of school funding more equitable. The Public School Forum's research has found that year after year, our poorest counties fall further behind our wealthiest ones in terms of resources available to their local schools. Poorer counties tax their residents twice as high as wealthier counties, yet generate substantially fewer dollars for their local public schools than what their wealthier counterparts can raise. This disparity in school funding and consequently educational resources Has profound implications for our communities of color as i mentioned last week the judge overseeing our state school funding case known as leandro tackles the racial disparities seen in our education system head-on by outlining a clear path toward equitable investments for our public schools something that covid19 makes even more urgent we must press on during the color of education month-long summit we'll be spotlighting a number of issues related to racial inequities in education And we invite you to tune into Education Matters during the next three weeks to hear more about opportunity, access, and policing in our schools, to name just a few topics that impact equity. Thank you so much for focusing and thinking about education and for being with us today.